Hey there, and welcome to the Jimmy's Table podcast at jimmystable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey. I'm curiously evangelical, politically homeless, and a dreamer of small things. On this podcast, I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. So if you have honest questions, aren't afraid to have difficult conversations, and want to have a little fun along the way, then pull up a chair. This podcast is for you. So, what are you going to say on your deathbed? That is, assuming you have the opportunity to say something at all. Today's episode 133 of the Jimmy'sTable.com podcast, and I'm going to talk about the deathbed confession of a bank robber. In today's podcast, I want to examine a recent deathbed confession of a bank robber named Thomas Rendell and how his confession can inform and shape the way we live our lives. Recently, it's been reported, and I have a link to it in the show notes at jimmystable.com for episode 133 if you want to check it out. Recently, it's been reported that a man named Thomas Rendell shocked his family and friends on his deathbed. He told them of something that none of them knew anything about. For the past 50 years, Rendell had been living a lie. Thomas Rendell revealed on his deathbed that his real name was Ted Conrad and that he had once committed one of the largest bank robberies in the history of Cleveland and had never been caught. Conrad successfully stole $215,000 from a bank vault back in 1969, which in today's U.S. currency, adjusted for inflation and all that fun stuff, is over $1.6 million today. Stole it from a bank vault. Kept it a secret for 50 years. (laughs) That's kind of amazing. And since then, he has successfully evaded capture all these years. Within a year of making the heist and getting away with it, he assumed a new identity and started a brand new life, forsaking all his friends and family from his prior life. Conrad had become a husband, a father, and a successful businessman at a local car dealership. And, kind of like something out of an FBI movie, like a plot from straight from the movies, this individual had a close friend that worked for the FBI. I kid you not. That's pretty hilarious. Such is quite an amazing story, and the lengths lengths that Conrad went through all these years so that he could avoid losing his freedom and going to jail. But in the process of going through these great lengths to avoid capture and going to jail for stealing the equivalent of $1.6 million from a bank, Conrad ended up exchanging the bars of federal prison for the bars forged by a lifetime of lies. He was no longer free to be Thomas Rendell, the man that he was born. Instead, he had to become Ted Conrad. And while Ted Conrad was a much-liked individual... You know, somebody he, he solely identified as and, and fully embraced. When it came time to knock on death's door, he finally sought freedom from the lies he had lived behind for 50 years. He yearned yet again to become Thomas Rendell and to be free from the prison of his own making. You know, Thomas's Story isn't too unlike our story, I think, in many ways. 
the way we live our life. I don't know if anybody listening to this podcast is a bank robber. I'm guessing probably not. Most likely not. But we can probably kind of identify with what Thomas Rendell did. Such is the nature of sin. You tell a lie, and soon you have to tell another lie to prop up that lie. One lie begets another lie, and before you know it, you're drowning in the sea of nothing but lies. The old-timers have a saying that reminds us that sin always takes you further than you ever wanted to go, keeps you longer than you ever wanted to stay, and makes you pay a price that you can never afford to pay. And such got me to thinking that, you know, like me, probably no bank robber, right? And my guess is you've probably even done, not even done anything remotely resembling a bank robbery. And you probably didn't kill Jimmy Hoffa either. <laughs> Yet, it got me to thinking, if I were on my deathbed, what confessions would I have, if any, if given the chance to say something on my deathbed before I pass? What would I say? What lies have I been telling myself? What lies have I been telling others? What prisons have I been making for myself all these years? In what cage have I placed Jimmy? This man did everything he could to find freedom and avoid spending years behind bars in prison somewhere. But he exchanged it ultimately for a lifetime of lies where he robbed himself of the ability to be free and who he truly was. He was in a prison of his own making, and knocking on death's door, he sought freedom from the lies that bound him. So, got me to thinking, what kind of lies do we tell ourselves? What are common lies that we lie to ourselves about? We're not having to lie about necessarily maybe who we were and what crime we did or did not commit. Although, if that's you, email me, jimmy at jimmystable.com podcast, and I'd love to have you as a guest. <laughs> of course, the conversation will be recorded, and it will be submitted to the FBI. But, uh, you know, it might make for some good podcast ratings, right? <laughs> anyway, I digress. But what, what lies do we tell ourselves? You know, here's some common lies I kind of, you know, start brainstorming about lies maybe I've told myself over the years, or, you know, common lies I've seen others kind of sell themselves. For example, we might tell ourselves, if only I could make more money, I'll finally be happy. That's pretty common, right? We always yearn for more and more money, and it never seems like we can make enough. Even when we finally feel like we've made it and gotten ahead, it seems like it's not too long before we find ourselves again saying, if I could only make more money, I'll finally be happy. And we get on that hamster wheel of chasing more and more, but never yet quite arriving at a place where we're ever satisfied. We tell ourselves that the world owes me something. And you know, maybe sometimes the world does owe you something. But I can't help but notice there's a lot of certain philosophies out there and mindsets. I'm not going to get into the particulars. But we feel that people owe us something that maybe we just need to go get ourselves, you know? And maybe instead of feeling entitled to certain things, maybe we should have an attitude of gratitude that causes us 
to celebrate what we do have instead of constantly yearning for somebody to give us something else. We tell ourselves, well, there's nothing I can do about it. That's just the lot I've been cast in life, and no matter how hard I try, I just can't get any further. Well, you know, maybe sometimes that's true. Maybe sometimes we hit glass ceilings that we just can't seem to break through. Maybe sometimes we get passed over for a job opportunity that, you know, we really were qualified for. And we just, no matter what we do, we just keep getting looked over. And that helps. And that, you know, can hurt us sometimes. But, you know, sometimes we need to realize that we can pivot. And that we're often not shackled to fate And that we can change our situation. It might require a new strategy. It might require adopting a new mindset. It might require adopting some new values. It might require reaching out to somebody else for help. But there's very few times in life where we're ever faced with a situation that there's absolutely nothing that can be done about it. It's not to say such situations don't exist. You know, sometimes you get a diagnosis, medical diagnosis that can't do anything about, and that you're wholly dependent on others to help you overcome. But how often do we tell ourselves on things that can truly change that we become blind to the opportunities that may yet exist that we just haven't looked for because we've become so singly fixated on the one thing. And when that one thing doesn't pan out like we want it to, We sit there and throw ourselves up and have a victim mentality and say, there's nothing I can do about it. In truth, there probably usually is. It just might require us being stretched in unconventional ways and us engaging in unorthodox methods in order to obtain whatever it is that we're seeking. Sometimes we tell ourselves, I just need to follow the desires of my heart. I think we can agree that the desires of our heart aren't always quite right, right? (laughs) Sometimes the desires of our heart will lead us to pursue things that are contrary to sound, righteous, ethical, good, clean living. Sometimes the desires of our heart will cause us to chase toxic, destructive relationships where we just yearn for, for the, the proverbial bad boy or the, the sultry woman that we just like, you know, I know she looks good and he looks good and boy, wouldn't that be fun. But we know deep down inside that for us to pursue a relationship with that individual that, you know, it would actually be quite destructive for us. Sometimes the desires of our hearts cause us to forsake the duty and obligations that we have to family and friends, the companies we work for, on promises that we've made. So we have to be careful. While the heart can be a beautiful thing and can lead us into all sorts of creative endeavors and and help us pursue our passions and make beautiful things in this world, we also need to always be reminded of, of Jeremiah about how the heart is desperately wicked and who can know it? At the end of the day, we, we need new hearts and new minds. And sometimes our hearts need to change. 
So be careful about following that heart. Heart can be a good thing. But sometimes the desires of our heart can plunge us into a world of no good. Another lie we tell ourselves is that everyone's out to get me. And this is a hard one. But sometimes it really does feel like people are out to get you. I mean, listen to the media. Listen to the news. The Democrats are out to get you. Joe Biden's out to get you. The Republicans are out to get you. Donald Trump is out to get you. And you know, maybe sometimes they are. You know, maybe sometimes they are. But is everyone really out to get you? Is everyone out there really trying to do you harm? I think even in in the most dire of, of societies, even in the most repugnant of places, that you'll find that other people are created in the image and likeness of God. And in spite of our fallen human sinful nature that we might have, in spite of this kind of penchant we have for sometimes doing evil, that even still as as creatures created in the image of God, that we have impulses and instincts to help others out. But usually, we don't reach out to others for that help. Because something's often wrong with us, I think. We have the inability to trust because we're afraid. We believe the lie that everyone is out to get me. When in truth, most people are too busy to even care you exist. <laughs> let alone be out to get you. And most people like to do things for mutual beneficial reasons. So if usually you can find some reason to benefit with others, to trade in others, to, to give value to others. They tend to be, human beings tend to be quite cooperative when they think, hey, there's something about this relationship that could also benefit me. So maybe instead of saying everyone's out to get me, maybe we need to be willing to be a little bit vulnerable, take a little risk, engage in a little mutual trust, and reach out to others and find out that, yeah, there are going to be definitely people out there that are out to get you, for sure. But I think you're going to find more often than not, most people have a common decency about them, a common grace the Bible talks about, that makes people want to cooperate with you more than makes everybody want to destroy you. We tell ourselves that one day, finally, we'll cross over the rainbow and that we'll finally arrive, we'll finally be there. And sometimes we believe that we did already get there. <laughs> but you know, as, as important as it is to always stretch yourself, to always have new goals in life, to always be moving towards something, we never should operate under the assumption that we have currently arrived, that we're the end-all, be-all of something, or that one day we'll just get to something and be something that we're not. We should all, instead of having any sense of final destination in our lives, with the only true final destination that any of us are ever guaranteed is that of death. And of course, taxes. <laughs> uh, death and taxes, right? Um, but instead of having any sense of one day I'll be there or one day I've made it, we should always be individuals who realize that there's always more opportunity to grow and that we'll continue to grow throughout all of eternity. So never operate with the assumption that you have arrived 
and never operate under the assumption that one day you will arrive. Because the moment you think you've arrived or think you will finally arrived is the moment you will never do anything else again. Because that which does not grow dies. So you should always seek to grow and you should always have an expectation of growth in your life. A lie we tell ourselves, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Well, sometimes it might be. Sometimes it might be. But I think if we take the attitude of Psalm 23, where it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. If the the Lord makes me to lie down in green pastures and makes me not want, then maybe sometimes instead of looking on the other side of the fence and saying, hey, what's that opportunity over there? Maybe I can get that one day. Maybe we should have a sense in which we are content about our circumstances, in which we recognize with gratitude the green grass that grows below our feet. Because sometimes we get wandering hearts. And, and don't get me wrong, this is not to contradict anything I just said about, one, about the continual need to grow. Um, but, because we always need to continue to grow. But maybe we just need to make sure the grass that's growing underneath us is that which continues to grow. Instead of hopping from job to job to job to job or lover to lover to lover to lover, maybe we need to work on where we're at and seek all the opportunity about the place that we're currently at. And if there's any sense of promotion or any sense of moving on to uh, somewhere else one day, maybe somewhere that is truly a greener pasture, that that will come in due time as a result of us simply being faithful with the assignment of where we're at and allowing the Lord to guide our steps as our great shepherd and allowing him to take us into the fields that he would have us to lay on. Another lie we tell ourselves, my value is determined by my social status. So we seek to do everything we can to have the nice job, the nice house, the car with a BMW logo stamped out on it, or something else from Germany. <laughs> Maybe Volvo is your thing. I think Volvo is a German car, is it? Or is it a Swedish car? I, I don't remember. Anyway, but you want to have some of those European cars sitting out in your driveway. You, know, you want the, the, the house in the suburbs with the fence around it. Two kids. A dog named Spot. You want all these status symbols to, to be able to peacock and show everybody that you are something so that people can value you so that you can assume some sort of social hierarchy. And that's not to say social hierarchies don't exist. There's a very real sense. And I think, you know, if you ever study the works and writings and uh, teachings of psychologist uh, Jordan B. Peterson, you'll definitely understand there is at times in our society, a certain sense of a social pecking order and social status. But that's not where we gain our value. We gain our value as individuals, not by where we are on the, the pecking order, but as individuals created in the image and likeness of God, as brothers and sisters with our fellow man, and in our capacity to love others and to be faithful to the thing that God has 
given us to do, the character in which we conduct the work that we engage in every single day. Our value is not determined by our social status. Our value is determined ultimately by, by how well we love and have the capacity to love others. And the final lie I'd like to address, lies we tell ourselves, is our idolization of others, be it romantic partners, preachers, or politicians. We just have this tendency to put romantic partners, preachers, and politicians on pedestals. We make idols out of them. We bow to them. We see no wrong or we see very little wrong in their conduct. We explain away all things that could threaten the idol that they've become in our hearts and minds. And that creates a problem because as creatures designed with the capacity to worship, as creatures designed with a, a natural bent to worship. We're all going to worship something, right? We're all going to worship something, right? We're all going to serve somebody. I, I believe a famous singer said something like that once, right? <laughs> when we idolize others, when we, be it our romantic partners, preachers, or politicians, we have this tendency to become conformed to their likeness and image because whatever you worship, you end up in many ways becoming, which is in part the major danger of idolatry. Because when we idolize others and start worshiping them and start becoming like them, we become blind to their faults and shortcomings and we're not able to assess them in their proper place. And then as a result, we often end up entering into the same distortions and lies and behaviors and mindsets of those whom we idolize. And that warps our lives a thousand times over. So if you wish to be free, if you wish to join Thomas Rindell and seeking freedom from lies, there's only one thing you can do besides this very specifics of the things I just talked about regarding the lies we tell ourselves. We have to have the courage and the boldness to be honest, to be individuals of integrity, to be vulnerable to where life leads us when we don't participate in the lies. And we have to do that knowing that, as dangerous as that can be, that the dangers of swimming in a sea of lies, it's even greater. Because otherwise you get to the point to where you're on your deathbed. You just have this thing that is constantly eating you up, just as it did this Thomas Rendell who, who robbed a bank 50 years ago. He finally got to the point where he just couldn't stand what he had become anymore. And he had to find freedom. And he did that by making a confession. And I think we need to do that in our lives. We need to confess our sins if we're going to find freedom. We're going to need to confess our lies. But we can only do that so long as we're still in a place that we can recognize and discern the truth and to speak that truth into being and to align our lives with 
the reality of the world in which we've been born and ought to live. But you know, not everybody's going to have that opportunity that Thomas Rindell have. Sometimes we're going to find ourselves, like I said earlier, you tell one lie, it begets another lie, and soon you are swimming in a sea of lies, and you risk the opportunity to be free because you're drowning in the lies of your own making. And soon you may not be able to see over the waves that bury you and drown you and bring you under. Because you can get to the place where your lies make it impossible to see the truth anymore. And all there is is a murky grave waiting for you. Sometimes you go down that path and there's no turning back. And that's an awful, terrible place to be. Because the truth, even though the truth can make us vulnerable, the truth can be hard, the truth can put us in a place where we feel like we may be exposed and taken advantage of by others. We may somehow miss out. Ultimately, it goes back to what Jesus said. If you are my disciples, you will know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. So we have to cling to the belief in our heart and mind that if we wish to be people who don't drown in a sea of lies, that there is a thing out there called the truth and that it's worth pursuing and that it offers us the freedom of life that lies counterfeit themselves with and offer to give us instead because that's the thing with a lie, right? You tell a lie because you believe it's going to save your skin. You believe it's going to set you free. You you believe it's going to keep you from outside of doing prison time. But the real freedom is to be found not in the, the, the escape that the lie offers you. But the real freedom is to be found in the truth. So everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, Jimmy'sTable.com, episode 133, The Deathbed Confession of a Bank Robber. Hope you learned something. Hope I've given you something to think about in this new year. Um, you know, like I talked about in episode 132, not big on the resolution thing, but you know, maybe this could help set a tone for you for the next year of taking back some lies that you've been telling yourself and telling others. And that maybe, that just maybe, you'll become a lover of truth and that your life will be radically changed for it. Everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, Jimmy'sTable.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it with others. And be sure to subscribe. You can subscribe at Jimmy'sTable.com slash subscribe, where you can find your many different fun ways of subscribing, being an Apple, Spotify, Google, or by email newsletter, or many other different ways. Also, great news, I've just found out this past week that the show has been made available now on Amazon Music. So if you listen to Amazon.com's music service and want to listen to this podcast, you can do so at Amazon's music app. Um, I hope to be able to link to it in the near future. But if uh, you want to look up Jimmy's Table podcast, uh, you will be sure to find it there. Everybody, 
Make sure also, when you listen to this podcast on your favorite app, be it Apple, Spotify, Amazon, that you leave your 100% honest confession about how awesome the Jimmy'sTable.com podcast is, that you leave a glowing, honest five-star review. Don't tell no lies now. <laughs> so be sure to do that. And uh, I look forward to next week's podcast. I'm going to have a special guest on. I'm actually going to have an author on the podcast. Lord willing, the creek don't rise and everything works out just as it should. So I'm kind of excited about that. I've had some special guests on my podcast before, but I've never had an author. So he has an actual book, a book that you can buy. <laughs> so uh, we're going to do that. So everybody... Jimmy Humphrey, jimmystable.com, where I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. Take care, everybody. God bless, and have a good one. That's all I have to say about that. That's the right on, man. You said it all.